appreciate you, man. And uh, it's good to keep the bromance alive. You know, so uh, it's amazing how uh, sometimes social media can be used for a good thing. It's almost like these days social media can be used for negative things, but it's really cool how uh, it can bring people together with like mind, like hearts. And I uh, appreciate your time. And this church has been a huge blessing to me, my family, and the community. And I'm excited for the days ahead. It's so cool to see the pictures of the new place. We're going to be going there very soon. And so I cannot wait to be at that art gallery in Rimmar to see what it's going to be like, a whole new season. And uh, thank you, Pastor Alex and Arden, for hanging in. Because if you guys didn't hang in, I don't think we'd be here. I don't think even maybe Matt and you and Michelle would be here. And uh, who knows? Who knows the other people that uh, are on their way to come? Because you guys are faithful. So thank you. And uh, Matt, I appreciate man, what you're saying about trusting God. Because I don't know if it's a guy thing, um, but I, I, I suck at trusting. Like, I, sometimes I trust more myself, my ability, um, the things that I control. And as we've been doing this series, I look at these years of the faith in Hebrews 11. They put their faith in God more than they put their faith in themselves. And it's been amazing to see what God's been able to do with that. And it's been a big lesson to me because I struggle with trusting God. Because uh, I can see what I can do. I can see the talents and the things and the things I put my hands to. But I can't always see God's hand. And it kind of freaks me out a little bit. And so this title of the series of this sermon is called Little Big Faith. Because it's amazing what God can do. Just give him a little bit of us. He can take it a whole lot farther than we can ever do on our own. And so when I was thinking about faith, the first thing that comes to my mind is in Matthew 17, 20, where it talks about the mustard seed. This is Jesus speaking. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So I started to research mustard seeds because I'm not a farmer. I'm feeling a city boy through and through. And when I think of mustard, I think of just going to the wild wild and get some spicy mustard over the soft pretzels. Like, that's my idea of mustard. All right, so, like, what is a mustard seed? All right, so this is a mustard seed. It is one milliliter in size. It is fits on the tip of your finger. It's, it's small. Like, really small. Like, one of the smallest seeds. Um, in that time, it would be considered the smallest seed of that day. But it's amazing because when it goes to become a mustard seed, it gets timed 2,700 times the size of the seed is the size of a mustard tree. And so you can see, go back, go back a second. So you can see from the size on your finger to the size of that tree, how small we become when we see this mustard seed become full size. And it's the same thing as our faith. So you have a mustard seed the size of one millimeter times by 2,700, you get that tall tree, 2.7 meters. What if we times our size by that same uh, multiplication of 2,700? Uh, what, what would we get if we times our size by 2,700? What would we get? The tallest mountain mentioned in the Bible, Mount Ararat. 2,700 times the size of a person. How interesting. Do you see that dynamic? Math is fun. I'm sorry, I'm like a middle school teacher. So anytime I can make math interesting, I'm going to do it because I hate math. But this is fun math. So when God says that you can move a mountain, he's talking about you. You can move you. 
You can do things in you bigger than you ever than you ever thought you could do. When God looks at us, He sees a mountain. Not that small thing that we see sometimes. We see the small, we see the insignificant. How could God use us? Well, how can God take that little seed and turn it into a big tree? How can God use me? You do amazing God-sized, mountain-sized things. You can. That's the type of God that we serve. And so my, my heart, knowing this message, is that may we shift how we see ourselves. Because sometimes I think we're our worst critics. You know, the great things that God has done in our lives, the good things, the talents that he's put in us, it's like they get diminished. When we look in the mirror, all we see is the flaws. We don't see the beauty that God has done. You know, it's the same thing. When I give back a test to one of my students, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, look at all the answers I got right. They're like, what did I get wrong? What's the one thing I got wrong? What did you get wrong? Why? Like, we're conditioned to look for what we get wrong instead of looking for what God gets right. And so, when we look at the, he the, the heroes of the faith, we see a lot of people that got it right. Hebrews 11, 32 and 34. This is Paul's, uh, this is not Paul, this is the author of Hebrews speaking. Do I need to give more examples? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets. Through their faith, they defeated kingdoms. They did what was right, received God's promises, shut the mouths of lions. They stopped great fires and were saved from being killed with swords. They were weak. Yet were made strong. They were like a little seed that became a great big tree. A person that may seem small became a great mountain of faith. And one of the interesting names in here is Barak. Because I've heard many stories about Gideon, Samson, Jephthah. You know, they were all judges of the Bible before there were kings, there were judges. At a time when Israel was crying out for leader, God would raise up these these individuals before there was a king. David was a king, so who was Barak? Like, when I think of Barak, I think of Barack Obama, right? It's like, who's Barack of the Bible? So, did a little digging, did a little research, and so let's go back into uh, Judges. In the book of Judges, I think I say Hebrews, but it should be Judges, so just, sorry, even teachers get things wrong, right, you know? So it should be Judges 5, 6, 8, and 12. So this is what it says in Judges, not Hebrews. Um, in the time of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the time of Jael, public roads were abandoned. Travelers went by back roads. Warriors became fat and sloppy. No fight left in them. Then you, Deborah, rose up. You got up, a mother of Israel. God chose new leaders. And when they fought at the gates, uh, who fought at the gates? Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, sing your song. On your feet, Barak, take your prisoners. Just take a moment to get a picture of this time in Israel's history. Public roads became abandoned. Travelers went by back roads. You know, it almost reminds me of the time when last year, at this time, we started going to shutdown. I think it was right around this time things got shut down. And we used to live on a busy street. And I used to hear cars going by all the time, and it was weird not to hear cars go by the house anymore. It was weird. And um, I can't imagine this time where you'd be afraid to travel. I mean, just think about that. You were going to go out, and if you got out, you could have been attacked. There was such a sense of 
of fear at this time. Couldn't do what you normally could do. It was a major, major disruption. And it was like this for 20 years, not just 12 months or a couple months or a couple weeks. It was like this for 20 years. And then Deborah rose up. You got up a mother of Israel. Now, it's been times where I've heard this message before, and I'll be honest, um, early ministry, I've even preached it this way, that because of warriors, men became fat and sloppy, that's why that did Then Deborah rose up. Well, if there's no men, no strong men, then I guess we'll choose a woman to rise up and lead Israel. But um, that's wrong. That's not what this verse is saying. God didn't choose Deborah because she was a plan B. She was God's plan A all. And I think sometimes we like view women like that. Well, if we can't find a man, we'll, we'll get a woman to do it. And that's not what God's saying. This, God's not comparing Deborah to the men of the day. There's a contrast. It's like men were like this, but Deborah was different. There's a difference between compare and contrast. This is a contrast. Well, Deborah was chosen because of who she was, not because of who men were. And I think sometimes we need to realize that. And so, are there, are, are there any times when God chose a woman when there was capable men? Yes, there was. In 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles, um, God, you can go to the next slide, God chose the prophetess Holman. So the argument that God chose Deborah to be the leader of Israel because there were no available suitable men is not supported by Scripture. God chose to use the female prophetess Huldah to advise King Josiah all-male delegation, even though there were male prophets available. I'm not talking like male prophets, like the heavy hitters, like the prophets that like books of the Bible were in uh, Jeremiah and Zephaniah, like major prophets. Like, if I'm going to read a word from God, I'm going to Jeremiah, all right? Like, I'm going to go to Zephaniah. These are like major prophets. You know Jews? The prophet is Holman. So this argument that like, oh, God chose Deborah because there's no really other men. No. God wanted to choose Deborah. God wanted to choose Holman. And God wants to choose you. Maybe you're in a position where you feel like you're God's B plan. And there's someone else that can do a better job. False. God chose you for this reason, for this season. Point blank, period. You are not God's B plan. You're God's A plan. It may feel like God's B plan sometimes. You know, I mean, we put that on ourselves. But you're God's A plan. You're God's number one. And the things that work down in your life, the things that you feel like are negative, that hold you back, that hold you down, maybe God can use your problems as his platform so that he can get the glory out of us. Let's go a little bit deeper into Deborah because this is a fascinating story. So what's the connection here between Deborah and Moriah? Let's go, let's go a little deeper. Judges 4, 6, and 7. Deborah sent for Barak, son of Abdenoam, from Kadesh in Nephitali, and said to him, It has become clear that God, the God of Israel, commands you, go to Mount Tabor and prepare for battle. Take ten companies of soldiers from Nephitali and Zebulun. I'll take care of getting Cicero, the leader of Jabin's army, to the Kishon River, all the chariots and troops, and I'll make sure you win 
the battle. This is a strong woman. She's just delegating out the wise in here. I love it. And I just, it's just, a, it's empowering to see. And just to give you a sense, this King Sisera, 900 chariots, okay? Massive army, oppressive army. He was a king of Canaan. So he was like, like people feared him. We see how much they feared him because they would travel the roads. And Deborah's like, yo, Brad, we're going we're gonna to work together. God's going to use you. And um, Brock was nervous, but I think it's pretty amazing that God chose Deborah. And I think sometimes when we look at the Bible, we look at the Bible and we see it sometimes as like a male-driven book. We see it as um, out of date, can't really hold up to, 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 to today's world, to the dynamics that are going on in today. But I feel like the Bible, when you look at it in context, was ahead of where we are today. Let's take a let's, let's take a look at some some parts of the history of our American history. God still courts women before us, before the U.S. Let's, let's take a look. 1920, women's right to vote. 144 years after the Bill of Rights. Why were women able to vote when men were able to vote? If Israel had a woman who was a prophetess and leader of the day. Let's keep going. 1963, Equal Pay Act. This is extremely interesting. The oldest tenant historian did not pay men and women equally until 2007. This is the Wimbledon, all right? So, men and women, after 2000, could compete in the same tournament and one would get paid more than the other. That's, like, that's crazy to me. That's crazy. Like, in our lifetime, this is happening. And it took Serena Williams to, to, to stand up and fight for it and fight for this change. Um, unbelievable. 1981, Women's Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor, first woman appointed the U.S. Supreme Court. 1981, I was one years old. One years old. Oh, by the way, when women got the right, vote to write, uh, got the, the, the right to vote, my grandmother, my great, yeah, my grandmother, who's alive today, she was as old as Clayton, just to kind of put things in, into perspective. But then we go back to Israel, to the Bible. 3,266 years ago, Deborah was appointed by God to be the leader of Israel. It's amazing. And yet we don't even have a like, woman president yet. And this isn't about to be political. This is just how, how God sees men and women. That men and women both have access to be used by God. And it's and it, 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 it astounds me. And then sometimes, for whatever reason, we pull ourselves back. Maybe it's our insecurities. Maybe it's our past. Maybe it's the things that the labels that people have set over us. Like, God can't use you. Like, look what you've done. Or, you've messed up. God can't use you. And for whatever reason, Barak faced some insecurities of our own. Let's go back. Judges 4.8. And ten, Barak said, "If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go." She said, "Of course I'll go with you, but understand that with an attitude like that, there will be no glory in it for you. God will use a woman's hand to take care of Sisera." What happened to Barak? And it's interesting because his name Barak means lightning. Like, if your name is Lightning, like, he's not a weak man. Like, in that day, your characteristics, who you are, that was part of 
where your name came from. So for Barak to be lightning, something happened in his life where he became like a little shot, you know, <laughs> like, like 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 a little like rub, you know, like what is, what is that like like um, like yeah, static electricity, like little you know. Go from lightning to static electricity. What happened? We don't know. But what happens in our own life that causes us from going from where God sees us to where we see ourselves? And there's a big gap between. Maybe there's a mountain-sized gap between. Listen, if God calls you to do something, you can do it. You know, if you're stepping into a new season of your life and you're insecure, you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I've never done this before. Why would God choose me? I've messed up so many times. No, God can use you. It doesn't matter what your past says about you. God can use you. You know, I love that when we sang that song today. A hundred thousand, what was it, like a hundred failures disappear when you speak? But God says about, about us, about you, means a whole lot more than what others have said about you. And it's interesting because why is Barak mentioned in, Hebrew, in, in the book of Hebrews if, if Deborah said you're not going to get any glory? What's going on here? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and, well, it's actually very interesting. I'm sorry, I'm just going like, in teacher mode today. So I'm just calling my teacher back. Um, that King Sisera, you know who killed him? It was a woman. He was escaping from the armies. Came to JL. We we heard of her before in the message in the time of JL. JL was a woman. JL was like, you don't remember with JL. Because how did she kill King Sisera? She led him into her tent, waited for him to fall asleep, and got a tent peg. And the Bible actually says this, and she stabbed it into his temple. No joke. You don't want to mess with these women in the Old Testament. Like, honestly, yo, serious, like, oof, no. But if Barak, if it said that there'd be no honor to you, why is he mentioned in Hebrews? Well, there's, there's a couple of theories about this, and I'm going to go into this a little bit. This is just some biblical theories from historians, so this isn't, like, fact. This is just, we're just, we're just going down the biblical historian trail. And the best way to think about this is look at Hebrews as an Easter egg. So, what's an Easter egg, right? Easter's coming up. There's a little bright Easter, like, you know, eggs and candy inside my son playing loves to find. So, Easter egg is a term for things that are in books or movies where there's something that happens and there's like a hidden message that points to something else. Alright, so, my boys and I, we love watching like Marvel movies. And there was a show that came out recently called WandaVision. Yeah. And so, this show, um, would have all these like, little hidden meanings in it. And after we watch the show, we'd go on YouTube and watch these YouTubers talk about the Easter eggs. What are the hidden meanings in this show? Like, what does this mean? And, and, and they did that. It means this. And so we'd watch these shows, and the shows had like 70 Easter eggs in it, right? And so um, there's an Easter egg in Hebrews because we don't know the author of Hebrews, and there's a reason why. So let's take a look at this. All right, so break this down a little bit. I'm a little backstory. So when we look at books written in American history, there was a time, um, even not so recently, where authors wouldn't use their first name. They'd use their initials. Uh, the author would be who? A. I. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Milne? Right? All right. Sorry. Great part. Um, C.S. Lewis? These are male authors. Let's take a look at S.C. Hinton, author of The Outsiders, and J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter. There were women 
authors. Why did they change to match A.A. Mill and C.S. Lewis? Because they would have much more chance of getting published if they initialed their name than if they had their actual name. Even up to J.K. Rowling. Because what does a British woman know about writing a story about a boy? All right, this, these are actual comments that people sent to J.K. Rowling who faced much oppression, uh, much uh, obstacles getting the book published. I think she actually got rejected 28 times around there. All right, and so this was something that female authors would do to get published. And it was almost like a little Easter egg where it's like they would hide their name and make it look like a male's name so that they could get published. All right, there's something that happened. All right, so doing some research. Why is Brock mentioned and not Deborah? All right, there's a German historian who believes that the Hebrew author utilized various tools of rhetoric. One such rhetorical device is called ascendantin. When speaking of various listed people, they use ascendantin carries the notion that the list can go on and on and thus remains incomplete. All right, that's a lot of like head speak for this. Paul would write like this. Paul didn't use this technique. So why would Hebrews a book used this this technique of listing names and, and, and listing to be in this book of Hebrews, but you don't see this pattern at all in any of other Paul's writings. Because maybe it wasn't Paul. Perhaps it was Priscilla who studied under Paul. Because of her background being a Hellenistic Jew, this was something that Hellenistic Jews would do. They would list things in this type of way, which was different than the way that Paul would. It's like a little Easter egg, kind of Barack in there, listing it this way. Be like, hmm, maybe this really wasn't Paul. All right? And so, and the reason why there's no author is because that it, would, it would not have gotten published or been seen as canon if it was written by a woman. All right? So, just a little, and here's another thing about Paul. Paul was a Pharisee, and Paul was one of the best Pharisees. He studied under the, the most prestigious Pharisee of the day, Gamel. And Paul was a proud dude. If he did it, his name was on it. All right, Paul's not going to give credit to anybody else. All right, he was type A all the way. So if there, there's no mistake that if Paul wrote Hebrews, his name would have been on it. So if it wasn't, there's a reason why. And Priscilla and Aquila studied and traveled and went on mission trips with Paul. And I love this in Acts 16, 3 and 4. It says this about Aquila and Priscilla, who are also always mentioned together in the Bible. What a team. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about Pastor Alex and Darby is like, you guys are a team. Like, honestly. And it's like, it's just, I, I love you guys as modern day Aquila and Priscilla. Because um, they were church planners too. Uh, say hello to Aquila and Priscilla, Paul speaking in Acts, who have worked hand in hand with, with me in serving Jesus. They once put their lives on the line for me. Wow. And I'm not the only one grateful to them. All the non Jewish gatherings of believers also put them in plenty. To say nothing of the church that meets in their house. Church planners. Travel with Paul. See what Paul did. Actually rescued Paul from the riot in Ephesus. You can read about that in Acts 19. It's pretty amazing how God can use them. And they trusted each other. Barack, and Barack didn't really trust Deborah. 
We need to trust each other. I see it, trusting. It's hard because being fresh out of college, going straight into the ministry, I was very trusting. And then along the way, um, there was times when I would share some things with the pastor that I was working for, and the very things that I shared with the pastor that I was working for, he said, oh, well, you can trust me, it's okay, we can talk, you know, blah, 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 these times in his office. Those things that I would share with him in his office are the things that got me fired. You know, there are times when, uh, man, just, I don't know, times of ministry where you put your faith in people, and they put their faith in you when it's convenient for them. And it's just, little by little, all that faith in people just got chopped, chopped down. And I felt like when I came out of ministry, I was like this big troll mustard seed tree. Like, oh, I'm invisible. I can do this. And then chop, 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 chop. And I remember sitting in my pastor's office when I was in college before I went into ministry. And I was like, I'm really scared about going into ministry. And he's like, oh, yeah, like on Christians, right? You know, it's like really tough, you know, to, you know, to be in ministry and deal with today's climate. And, you know, so many people are against Christians. I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm afraid to go into ministry because of Christians. And my time in ministry, people who hurt me the most are Christians. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because my guard's down. People are people. People fail. And so maybe my guard's up a little bit more with, like, un-Christians. And so, like, I can kind of dodge dodge the bullets a little bit more. But then Christians, it's like, they love Jesus. They should love me too. Well, they love you. Like, they love Jesus, but, man, they don't really like you. And my hope is that we can create a place where we don't have to worry about those hurts. What can the church be like if we really love each other? They didn't judge each other. What can the church be like if we're known more for loving than for judging. You know, what would it be like if church was more like Planet Fitness? I love Planet Fitness's like motto, judge-free zone. Like, what is it that Planet Fitness gets that the church doesn't, right? Do we feel like we can like judge people and just, you know, just put the clamps on and, and, and it's just so unlike what God wanted for us. God wants us to trust each other. God wants us to trust him. Because Jesus says the amount that you judge others is going to be the same amount that's going to be put towards you. So if you want to judge others, cool. But be but realize that the, but the amount that you judge others, God's going to jam judge you with the same weight. And I'll be honest, I mess up way too much for God to bring for God to boomerang that to boomerang that judgment back on me. So I'd rather err on grace and receive more grace than 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 just go all in on judgment. Because I don't want to face that judgment. I don't want to plant those seeds. I want to plant seeds of faith. Get it? Seeds. Dad joke. I saw my classes off with dad jokes. So I had to do like one of those little dad jokes. Alright. So, Galatians 3.28. Let, let's, let, let's bring this plan, plan in for a landing. God can use anyone. Galatians 3.28 says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. 
This verse talks about that there is nothing holding you back from being used by God. It's not where you come from. It's not your gender. It's not your economic status. The only people holding us back from God using us is us. Not God. He wants everyone to own the party. I love what Herman Dana says. He says this. Who do we become when we stop allowing all the voices in our head to crowd out the one voice we must hear to come to life? Maybe some of you keep living with the label that someone said about you, that God never spoke to you. And we hear all these other voices that say you're this, you're that. You'll never amount to anything. You're from that family. You never amount to this. Look, 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 look where you're from. You can never lead anything. Look, look at your failures in your life. If we allow all those other voices to drown out who said you can't do it, and you're the one voice that says you can. That's what we need to listen to. The one voice. And when we focus in on that one voice, it's amazing how much more we can come to life. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. So we're talking about faith. How can we let this, this verse out practically? Because we're not killing kings with 900 chariots. All right? We don't live in that day where it's totally acceptable to, to kill someone with a tent peg through the temple. Alright, so how do we love this faith? Because there's some people who like maybe I would like to stand with the heart. I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Like we can't live that life like the Old Testament, different time, just different. What about today? I think Philippians 2, 3, and 4 gives us a great picture of how we can live this life, having this little big faith in our life today. This is what Paul says. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you join together in perfect unity. Man, look how divided we are today. Join together in perfect union with one heart, one passion, united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. What's God's heart? He wants to see us come united. Be free from prideful opinions. Oh man, like, like you just need to post this verse on like your phone or by your computer before you like throw that throw that update out on Facebook or Twitter. You know what I'm saying? Be free from prideful opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Guys, are we posting things, are we saying things to bring unity, or are you trying to bring division? Don't allow self-promotion to hide your hearts. Oh my gosh, self-promotion. How much is that going on these days, you know? Jeez. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But in your authentic humility, Put others first and be others more important than yourself. That's what Deborah did, and look what it did for Barack. That's what you can do, and how much of a difference can it make in your job, in your community, in this church? Authentic humility. You know, that's what I think the church needs more now than anything. Time of cool church, production, smoke, lights, all that stuff, it means nothing. This generation, this new generation, they don't look cool. They want authenticity. They want empathy. They want to know that when you go, when they walk into this church, when they walk into this place, they're not being judged, but they can be loved. They want something real because so much of their life isn't real. How much of how we connect? It's like through a computer or through a screen. People want real. There's no more real place than in Jesus Christ. The church, if we're not real, we are misrepresenting Jesus. 
No wonder why our churches are shrinking. It's not because of COVID. It's not because of the world we live in. It's us. It's us. We need to become authentic and we need to live and love the way Jesus did. Abandoning every display of selfishness poses a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Oh my gosh. This verse right here. If the church can just get this, we don't need another marketing campaign or this or that. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine how our communities can be impacted if we possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of our own interests? Whew. Come on, church. This is the time. This is the time we can take a little bit of what God gives us. Worry about the past. Don't worry about the labels. Plant that seed. Do that thing. Walk in faith and see the mountain that God can move in you. As we close, I want to share this last quote from a Christian theologian that I really like a lot. It kind of puts all this into perspective. On the cross, leadership dies. On the cross, success dies. On the cross, skills die. And excellence dies. All the things that we put to make us feel like something. All of my strengths now to the cross. All of my weaknesses now to the cross. All my yearnings for bigger and better, for anything other than Christ himself, nailed to that cross. Church, what do you need to nail to the cross today? What's that thing that you're making bigger than God? That you just need to give to Him? That fear, that label, that hurt. Just give Him it, that little thing and see what God can do. He can turn that little thing into great big faith. Church, don't look back. God sees you as a mountain. And we see ourselves. The way God sees us. Something great, babe. Something great. Something more than we can be on our own. I hope this encourages you today that we have faith to be the people, the men and women that God called and created us to be. May we live for one voice, not for the voices of others. Let's pray. God, I thank you that. You don't see us the way the world sees us. Failures and flaws. But God, you see us as so much more. And God, may we see ourselves the way you see us, Lord. When we're scared and we don't know if we can take that step or do that thing or go into that new season. God, you're with us. And God, when you're with us, there's nothing that we can't do. As long as you go too. Thank you.